Welcome to Strengthen, a podcast dedicated to inspiring you to become your strongest self. I am your host, Gabby Barreto, a registered dietitian and personal trainer with the mission of empowering you to become the best version of yourself yet. So let's get stronger together. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Strengthen. Um, I have an amazing guest today, Amanda Katz. She is a in New York City. So when you say New York City, you feel super fancy. Um, trainer, run coach, instructor. And I'm going to let her, which I always commend run coaches because I always have like a love-hate relationship with running. So we'll talk about people's relationship. I feel like so many people have this like love-hate relationship with running. Um but welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on and give us a little intro. Tell us who you are, what you do, your credentials, accomplishments. I know you run marathons. So tell us everything. Sometimes I do that. Sometimes. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I, I, Gabby, I, I've listened to your podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of the the relaunch for strengthen. Um, and I, you, 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 you got what you needed. You, the nuts and bolts of me are, are there. Um, I, I'm Amanda. I go by AK coach, coach cats. Um, and I currently train clients, uh, privately from their comfort of their homes in one-on-one -on -one sessions. I also work with runners on an individual basis to help them reach their next starting line figuratively and literally. Um, and in addition to those services, I also am in New York city based Equinox group fitness instructor and specifically in indoor cycling, treadmill running and total body conditioning formats. Uh, my certs include NASM, AFAA. I'm an RCA run coach dabbled in the Nesta kettlebell Schwinn cycling, TRX. I'm a bit of a nerd and I'm, I'm hoping to continue to build on that. Uh, outside of my professional fitness life, I am personally a lover of weights and running, not at the same time, but <laughs> that's where you can mainly find me. Yes, we love that. And I love all the certifications. I'm the same way. And most people listening know that I am that way. And I always appreciate there's so much to learn. And um, I think it's important to always stay open and to learn from different people in the industry. Cause there's a lot of, um, as you know, very strong opinionated people like this is the only way to clean a kettlebell. And it's like, no, there's so many different ways to do that, which I love that you're a runner who loves kettlebells and weights. I love that. I was, you know, stalking you and, um, we all stalk each other, by the way, <laughs> we all do it. This is a fact. Um, but yeah, so you're in the fitness industry, which I love. I've 
a lot, but there's also a lot I don't love. Um, but talk to me a little bit about like your philosophy and tell us about your philosophy on fitness. Um, and just give us a brief introduction on that. Sure. Yeah. My philosophy is centered around body neutrality and, and, and joyful movement for the most part. I think joyful movement gets this reputation that we must love what we do at all times in the fitness space. And mm -hmm. that isn't my messaging. <laughs> my messaging is rooted in humor and in some tough love because fitness is tough. Um, I ultimately want the people in my space to leave our sessions, our workouts, feeling stronger, feeling more capable in their bodies. I think everyone deserves, all bodies, all bodies deserve a fitness experience without the nonsense, without punishment, without shaming people. Mm -hmm. And that's what I seek out to deliver uh, with my with my athletes. My When it comes to body image, my belief has always been it's less to do with the physical body and more to do with our need to gain approval from others. Yes. And if you just want to take a step back and consider how many of us grew up feeling the need to please other people, family, our partners, friends, bullies, employers, colleagues, everyone on the freaking internet, you know? And this state that we sought out as kids, as teenagers, as students on the job, it continues into our adult life and manifests in these different places. Um, the need for this external validation, this, the chase, the chase, the chase. So for me, it's like, what does that have to do with our body image and the, and the fixation that we have on our physical appearance? Mm -hmm. And my thought is how you see yourself is important to how others will choose to respect you. Mm -hmm. And the notion that if I, if I hit, if I hit this weight, if I look this way, I will then be lovable. If I, I, it's only scratching the surface with the deeper issues. Yes. Um, that we're, that we're consciously or unconsciously facing. Absolutely. And, I, I hope to share a message that's more along the lines of who told you you weren't worth respecting for who you are today. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm relentless about that um, yeah. with my people. <laughs> and it's like in the fitness space, it is really important that people like you and I exist because people come to fitness for the most part to change their body, right? Like a lot of people come to us cause they're like, I need to change my body. Not every single person. It is so rare that someone will come to us because like, I just like, I want to get stronger. And like, that's great. There's most people come cause they're like, I just, I want to change the way I look because if I change the way I look, then I'm going to be happier. Like you said, more lovable. I'm going to get more, um, 
props from people. I'm going to get more respect from people if I'm smaller. And that's really because we've built this, um, that our society like likes to objectify our bodies on a daily basis, especially women. And it happens to men too. Um, but you know, it's, it's rooted in, in all of that. And we can talk probably for hours about all of that. But it's really important that in this space that we do have people, and it's also important, like the kind of language that that we use. I know for myself, I have stopped using certain language. Like I used to be, I used to like, I will say things like, if your body is feeling ready, then do X, Y, Z, then maybe push a little harder. You know, if today is not your day, cool. But I used to be very myself in fitness used to be very pushed, go heavier, go do, go harder. But I'm like, wait, like that messaging is really toxic for some people who are coming to us to feel better or coming to us who have been damaged and broken by diet culture, by like fitness culture, because fitness culture, it is a part of diet culture, but it's its own toxic wasteland in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I, it's so important that we have us there in these big spaces like you're in a space like equinox like i'm in a space like rumble like these are big new york city brands with a lot of people coming through the door and so we appreciate you here on this podcast in this universe in this little corner of the fitness space i love that you mentioned how you've changed your verbiage over the years i too you know there are no regressions and that that verbiage isn't used anymore options are used and i and i similarly um i do the same when considering equipment it was so funny you posted something the other day that i do as well oh my gosh make making this a space a fitness space specifically feel safer also means making it more accessible to those of us who live in larger bodies Mm -hmm. and not every piece of equipment, certain steppers, certain benches Mm -hmm. in my space. And I, and, and, and and you had shared in your space as well. It's, it's inaccessible. Yeah. And it needs to be considered as a coach and, um, or at least I believe it, it needs to be. And so, and I I know you do too. I will say the benches where the benches where I work, they are not accessible. They're not accessible to anyone who is taller than five foot seven and is you know, <laughs> at a certain body for it's it's not. So we always have to consider all body shapes and sizes and like mm-hmm. what what we can do. And it's also not to think like, oh, just because someone is bigger that they can't do this. Like everybody and mm-hmm. there's people in smaller bodies who are not capable of what people in larger bodies are able to do. Um, and it's not making also for us is not making that assumption is also part of making, Mm -hmm. you know, creating a a safe space, um, which is super important. We're definitely going to talk more about this in our episode, but what I want to, I want to hop to is just digging a little bit into you. It's all about you, but what brought us into this? (laughs) What brought you into this fitness industry? Have you always been a trainer? What made you want to be a trainer? Like, was it like, I was a little girl and I just wanted to like, that was me. I was a little girl and I did Richard Simmons with my mom and I, lo- <laughs> I loved it. And there I was years later on a stage. So take it away. What brought you here? I, I would say that the reason why I 
moved into movement was because it was not about me. Funny enough, the way this is all about you. I was like, well, that's actually why I didn't. That's why I, I made the leap. Um, and as similar as Richard Simmons and I looked when when I was 12 years old, I I would say that I found my my love for movement in general via group fitness. I was not always a trainer at the time I had. Uh, I was attending graduate school. I was working towards my master's, um, specifically in nonprofit business, mm-hmm. working full time as a communications professional in, in government and in nonprofit work as well. And in the evenings and on the weekends, I found myself in Lucille Roberts on Bell Boulevard in Queens, born and raised in Queens. <laughs> Yo, taking step aerobics <laughs> my first job was at lucille roberts and i love that place lucille roberts always has a place in my heart sorry i digress same no <laughs> i i close my eyes and i see those that red light that red that red light from the street like, and oh, the, the red carpet my safe yours place. have a red carpet yes <laughs> I was teaching a Zumba dingy class. red carpet. Yeah, I was teaching a Zumba class, and a girl like literally tore. I don't know, probably her ACL in the middle of my class because we're dancing on a carpet. <laughs> it's it was wild. It was wild. I, <laughs> but we loved it. We loved it. Right? It was is is a space that evoked joy, and I. I also, you know, I also found myself in basements in Whitestone doing deadlifts. I there fitness has the the beautiful thing about fitness is it was in like all these little pockets where you know I I, I had a Lucille Roberts membership because it was inexpensive enough and I would pay one ten dollar classes to be in, in this basement in Whitestone and I would do I would spend five dollars on Sunday mornings and take Zumba with my mom and there was real no there was no real rhyme or reason. I kind of just did what I enjoyed. Yep. And I honestly did it for my mental health, which gave me, a, I didn't know at the time that it was for, that it would improve my mental health, but it gave me this sense of peace instead of my fixation on nailing everything in my life, mm. nailing the job, nailing the master's degree, nailing my social life, nailing, moving out of my parents' home. And it allowed me to put that to the side and focus for those 45 minutes. Right. I think it was ultimately strength-based classes that specifically made me feel stronger in my body, which was not something I was accustomed to. For about six years, I would say on and off, I faced multiple eating disorders, Mm -hmm. mainly anorexia. And my body during this time couldn't imagine, I couldn't (laughs) sustain even lifting heavy weight, lifting any weight Um, until I was nutritionally rehabilitated is when I started to dabble in it. And I felt so damn empowered to pick up weights because I, I felt so confident in doing so. I was impressed with myself which was something I never experienced before. Right. And I think what ended up happening as a result of this experience was I started to nerd out 
as we discussed <laughs> previously, on all things related to fitness. I would I would read books about it from the library and then I would I would get I, I waited for the Black Friday sales for certifications. I love it. <laughs> I, I yeah, so I was I was like I was like how can I do this and still work full time and which is of course impossible, but we start small and I was yep. initially hired as an instructor for um, Harlem's first boutique cy- first cycling studio. Um, called Harlem Cycle, uh, which later led to teaching strength-based classes. And then I I was in my profession, my communications profession for nearly a decade. I pivoted to fitness full-time about five, six years ago. Yeah. What's so funny is I remember- And that's where we are today. (laughs) I remember when Harlem Cycle opened. (laughs) I don't know why I remember that place opening. Um, and you were one of the first instructors there. Yes. <laughs> so funny. That's so funny. I wasn't in New York City at the time, but I still remember. I don't know why I remember that opening. Um, probably because I saw it in a job listing or something, or on the on the internet somewhere. Um, it's so interesting how so many of us have like we we cross paths like just like in in how we got where we are. I totally like identify like with um the strength training aspect that you spoke about. And what I was thinking when you were saying that is like, why I think when we're healing our relationship with our body, strength training is so powerful. Cause I also found that that really helped me is like, we're able to physically see the results of our, I don't, I don't mean in the mirror. I mean, we're actually physically able to see and like, and explore the, the results of healing. So we're able to Mm. see like, oh, wow, I heal and I'm able to do this with my body. We're able to like tangibly see, and this is helpful for a lot of people, like what my body is capable of, like Mm. what limits I can go to. And like, if we're doing it healthy and, and safely, et cetera, like eating enough to do it and, you know, having a good relationship with it. I was definitely obsessed for a very long time in a not so healthy way personally. Um, that doesn't mean everybody is going to go through that, but I really, I really love when you were saying that, cause it made me really think of my own experience and other people, how strength training and exercise can be a helpful tool in recovery of, you know, eating disorder, disordered eating a bad relationship with your body. Cause you're able to physically, you know, feel and see and do the things that your body wasn't able to do. And it's like, wow, like this is what I'm capable of like physically. And it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun for people like us when you're like, I can deadlift that. Like, I don't know. I think it's fun. <laughs> Me too. I, and I totally agree with you. It's almost as if as a part of that journey of impressing yourself, mm-hmm. you become so much less reliant on external validation to do it for you. Right. You find that you go, you, you move, you exercise, not because somebody is watching your Instagram story and you posted your Apple watch stats, but because you are in love with the process doesn't mean 
it, you, you love it all the time. Right. That's how I often feel about strength and running. Um, but, but you, but you respect what it does for you and, and feeling more capable in your body. Exactly what you said. Right. Right. So let's talk about running. How did you get into running? You, you mentioned the love hate relationship. I, I, I still have a love hate. I have, you mentioned at one point to me in some of our conversation, a hate, hate. Sometimes some days I have a hate, hate. And some days I have a love, love. Uh, Some days they're all at the same time. (laughs) Um, But it wasn't, uh, it's, but truly all jokes aside, I I love running. I love running and I would not do it if I didn't love it. And I do not take runners on who, who are interested in running for the sake of somebody else's goals. Mm. And when I say that, I mean, we often see, I'll have potential clients come to me and ask if they, they don't like running. They've tried it several times. And their friends want to do a half marathon in the spring. And they feel as if they have to be a part of it with them. And, and they want me to work with them. Of course, I will never say immediately no. But I, I do challenge that idea that we all have to do everything. We don't. <laughs> we don't. Mm-hmm. So... With all that being said, it wasn't until I went on a little tangent because I just want to share that just because I love running doesn't mean you have to love running. doesn't mean everyone has to, has to run. There are many different modalities in fitness to put a ribbon on all of that. It wasn't until my late 20s that I discovered running had more meaning than the punishment as it was sold to so many of us in high school, yeah. in middle school. Um, and it wasn't until I started traveling abroad, uh, first time in Malawi, then in Kenya, that I, <laughs> then in Jordan, I found it fun because I didn't have any, any watch to track, but it was a fun way to explore on my feet. That's awesome. And without pressure um, to be perfect at it. And it was, it wasn't until 2020 that I had signed up for my first half marathon. Um, and of course, due to the pandemic, I ended up running that half marathon solo in central park and it was so freeing for me. And, and it was a celebration. Um, and then since, I've, I've ran several 5Ks and 10Ks. I've done New York City Marathon, Chicago Marathon. I have, I keep them near and dear to my heart, but I have several that I've already applied for in 2023. It, but it's so, and I keep them near and dear. I often don't publicize my, my training for them until after I've been a part of the event because running is such a sacred space for me. Mm-hmm. I, I have a Strava profile, but I turn off all tracking. There's no pace 
Uh, there's no calories mm. burned. All these metrics are on there, but I just disable them all. And there's just so much pressure in fitness culture to look the part and to be fast enough and to work hard enough. Yeah. And you have to get honest with yourself. Does the performance cost you your piece? For me, it was never worth that. If I, I wouldn't run if it, if that's what it was about. Right. And I genuinely enjoy, I enjoy the process of not, of my running, not being tied to metrics. Right. I love that. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's like a big thing even with me personally, it's like, I need to run eight and a half minute mile. Like I'm so competitive that I have to like leave CrossFit. Like that's, that's, that's the kind of person I am. But I really love what you, what you kind of just thought and maybe it'll change my, I do like running. Do I love it? No, probably. Cause I'm like, Oh, my time is like, I'm running nine and a half minute miles for like a one mile. Like that's where I am right now. Like I had a baby, like it, it sucks. Um, but exploring, I love that. It's like a new way to like, and especially if you're in New York city, like you can take a different path all the time. Like I I'm on long Island. I could drive somewhere and probably take a different path or I'm in Long Beach, so I like to just go run on the boardwalk. I always notice something different when I go out for a walk or a run. Like, I notice different houses. I notice different things, like, when I go out. But, like, turning off the metrics is is huge for so many people. We live in such a metric-driven time where, like, the average person who doesn't need to know their blood sugar at 6.03 p.m., can know their blood sugar at 6.03 PM and, and obsess over it. Right. Like we have these whoop things that will like, tell us like, you can go out today and take on the day because your strain is like, like, can we listen to our bodies? Can we get, you know, these, these gadgets play a role metrics play a role, but if they take you out of the training experience to like, when you said like, you know, joyful movement, yes, sometimes we all do things in fitness that we don't love, but like, can we just enjoy the process instead of having to like micromanage the process all the time by like being like, oh, my run, like even just like having a run that wasn't on the time, just having that mindset that it was a bad run. Like, how is that going to impact my next run of having like a bad lift where like I didn't reach X number of pounds on my deadlift? Like. Uh, to be honest, my lifting nowadays, kind of like you're running, I just go in there and lift. I'm not lifting for numbers. I want to feel, you know, like a heavy enough weight for like six to eight reps. I want to feel a heavy enough weight for like 12 reps, you know, on another day. I want to feel like I got my heart rate up and that it was challenging enough, but I don't have a marble notebook or an app in my phone putting down my weights. I'm just not there anymore. I was, but I don't care anymore. <laughs> like... I want to be able to like once or, you know, every couple of weeks, pick up the heavy, the heavy kettlebell I've always post and be able to swing that. Like my goal isn't like, I must be able to do, I just want, there's a 97 pound kettlebell. I want to be able to pick that up once a week and swing it 10 times for three sets. That's it. Like that's heavy, but like, that's all I really care about getting. It's not metric driven. And I think that makes the process more enjoyable. 
And maybe that can make running more enjoyable for other people that want to get out there. Cause you know, that running could be, is good for you, right? Cardiovascular fitness is good for you. Strength training is good for you. Is micromanaging it in a marble notebook or in a Strava app or like on a Garmin or an Apple watch good for some of us? No, it's not. Does it take many people out of the game? Sure. Because it's not, we're not going to the Olympics. You know what I mean? Like, correct, correct, correct. <laughs> is it like, it's, you know, exercise is a stress. Yeah. It's a stress on your body. Do you yeah. really want to be more stressed? No. Do you really want to be more stressed? And you'll find just as you, as you shared, you are lifting now based on effort mm-hmm. and experience. Mm-hmm. Just like that in running, we find the science tells us that if you run based on effort, especially as an endurance athlete with the majority of your running done in an effort that feels easy. That means two to three out of 10. Mm-hmm. Conversational, even though I run solo, I don't talk to anyone, but I've tried talking out loud. I can't do it. Perfect. That's where I need to be. Right. Done. If the majority of my training is done at that level, if I am looking at a race, a marathon, a half marathon, a 10K, my, Im- my performance improves. Mm. shockingly enough mm. it improves I love because it. the majority of my training has been at that aerobic capacity i'm improving my aerobic capacity and as an aside i'm enjoying myself mm-hmm. and we know that my body is isn't taking a hit running is mental like especially if you're in yes the marathon game half marathon marathon game. i love a half marathon i think that's great for me personally that's a good chef's kiss. It's, it's a good, <laughs> like good challenge. I have never done a marathon before, but if you're in those games, it's, it's, it's painful. Like I had a bunch of friends recently who just ran the New York city marathon. It's painful. Like it's a mental game. So like you also are training yourself mentally in those moments too, to not have the pressure to be like, I got to finish this in four hours and 27 minutes. Like, I'm just going to finish it. I'm just going to run this race and surprise yourself. I left my watch at home for the New York city marathon last year. I just had a blast. Yeah. I just had a blast. I, I ran through Queens. I saw my family. I, I didn't tell anyone I was running it. So when my my clients were on the streets in on Fifth Avenue. Oh man, I got to experience the joy of being a part of a community. Mm-hmm. And that was enough. Yeah. I like it. And like I always tell people all the time, one more time, I'll say it last time. We're not going to the Olympics. We're not getting paid for this. Like, like there's, I'm not getting an award. Yes. I post my workouts because I want to empower other women to like, Hey, you could be a mom, a new mom and like, still get your, still get your rocks off at the gym, like still go and do your thing. Like (laughs) still enjoy, still be strong. And like, we don't have to be afraid to be strong woman physically, mentally, emotionally. I'm very big on that. 
speaking of strength training, you're very big on strength training for running, which I love because so many people just go get into the run game and just like run. And I don't, I hate when people are like, Oh, run. I always get injured when I run. I always have this when I run always running. Isn't good because there's other, yes, we are all about like healthy relationships with exercise, but we've got to put science to this. We also, you and I were nerds. We got to put science to this. So you're very big on strength training. I love it. You're big on kettlebells too. Um, I always tell anyone who's running, especially a lot of people, I work with a lot of fighters, um, get them into strength training. I'm like, get into kettlebell, get into that power work. So talk to us about, um, you know, how you incorporate that in your programming and programming for clients, what your recommendations are for that. If I'm training any runner one-on-one strength training is a Mm non-negotiable running is a single leg sport. We don't think of it like that, but it is. So in my programming with clients, we focus a lot on unilateral movements, single leg deadlifts, calf raises, split squats, glute bridges, Copenhagen planks, Mm. either with me as their private trainer or a DIY plan. And I, and I, crafted the same way I do with my one-on-one clients, I recommend that, you know, we do this same programming for six to eight weeks, ton of boring stuff. That's what I like. (laughs) And for runners specifically, I, I recommend at a minimum two roughly 30 minute sessions a week Mm -hmm. of, of movements. Uh, some examples that I shared previously. Yep. Um, in, in a rep range, you also mentioned, I, I tend to, I lean on six to eight, sometimes 10, depending on, um, how afraid the runner is yeah. <laughs> of lifting. I find that I have to challenge that belief often. Um, there's this belief that, you know, if I strength train and I'm a runner, am I going to get bulky and slow? Oh my goodness. This is my. It's my, I will die on the hill of, <laughs> of, of fighting this notion. Mm-hmm. Run strength training is critical to running. Agreed. Not only do you physically feel better at, as you run, after you run, it will improve your running performance. And if speed's important to you, you better pick up some kettlebells. You better incorporate strength training. It decreases your injury risk. So you want to run into your 60s, your 70s, your 80s, you better strength train. We already know the science. Gabby and I are both nerds behind strength training and it improving bone density, specifically in women. Right? So I will... I will, I will preach until I can't preach no more on the importance of strength training in a runner's routine. Right. Injury prevention. And you're talking about, um, bone, bone mineral density running will help, but the strength training is going to be where it's at. Cause you need muscle mass. And especially as we age, we need muscle mass for, you know, our hormones, you know, we, you know, as we age, it gets harder and harder to put on muscle to the point where I, you know, I was even, um, 
listening to some podcasts or like, you know, people above the age of, uh, you know, after men, women after menopause, like stop trying to lose weight because what you're doing is you're losing muscle mass and it's not, mm-hmm. we don't want to say the words impossible, but it is really hard to put it back on. And so mm-hmm. we should be, think of it like if you are a person who likes to invest money, right? Like I want to be putting money away now. I want to be building muscle now. You know, a lot of my listeners mm-hmm. are in our thirties, you know, if you're in your thirties, your forties, you know, even fifties, right? Like we want to still be building muscle mass, muscle mass, even in your sixties, you still want to be building muscle mass. But if you start in your twenties and your thirties, you're going to have a lot more, you know, in the bank to, to put away. If you start in your forties or fifties, you got to be a little bit more aggressive. I did want to point out, you said the word Copenhagen side plank, which right now is like, um, I can't, <laughs> oh, narch nemesis of mine. <laughs> if you don't know what a Copenhagen side plank is, is the hardest variation of a side plank <laughs> it's, but the best it is so it is both of those things yeah i i as you can see i left it for 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 last in my line my lineup of the main recommendations because truth be told i do i i program for myself uh to run specific lower body sessions and to run specific core Mm. sessions um (laughs) i have intentionally (laughs) left out copenhagen place this week (laughs) because of my hate hate relationship (laughs) i it's i they're so hard i'm on a regular side plank right now i think at some point in my pregnancy (laughs) i was doing them and then i just got too heavy to do them (laughs) <laughs> and now it's like, uh, it's like that's impressive yeah I was doing a lot of stuff in my second trimester that by the end of my pregnancy I couldn't even breathe when I was doing it and and um I'm on a regular side plank but side planks are like I I when I teach even at my rumble classes and that's just like a fun class I get a little nerd I'm able to get a tiny bit nerdy but it's just a rumble's just a fun class but when it comes we have a core we have a core round and I am always putting side planks in there because I will bet that no, these people are not doing a side plank any other time during the week. So not on their own my class because side planks are hard. A side plank is hard. It's not easy. Okay. We don't do them. We don't work, you know, this, that those muscles very often in traditional movements day to day. But if you want to have a healthy back and a healthy core, you need to do your side planks. It's like, must do your side. It's, it's like in nutrition, you must have your protein in the morning in fitness. You must do your side planks. Like you must do this it. This has been a public service announcement. <laughs> Please do your side planks. And then I, I've been in some group fitness classes where people are doing Copenhagen side planks. And I just, I'm like, you gotta, you should be with the leg on the floor. That leg should not be up. <laughs> it should be on the floor. <laughs> but I digress. That's, that is no, that's, it's why I often do not program them in my group fitness classes. Yeah. There's just too many humans to human. No, you can't. Fitness, you cannot. If you're a group fitness instructor listening to this, simple. Do not. Simple. Do the complicated. Simple is stuff. supreme. Do the complicated stuff with your one to one. That's it. So. Simple is supreme. What would you say? Some kettlebell. What kettle? Some kettlebell moves that you would uh, recommend for. Um, I love the hip flexor strengthening work for everyone. Mm-hmm. 
I would recommend swings. If a runner is preparing for a race where they have, even if they don't have a time goal, but they want to feel powerful swings for sure. (laughs) Swings for sure. I think a kettlebell also is such a great tool for moves that folks use a barbell for a dumbbell for, for example, goblet squats, split squats, deadlifts, curtsy lunges, all of those things, uh, a kettlebell is a, is a great tool and it's a multi-purpose tool that even if you are not a gym member, if you purchase a kettlebell, you then have access to all of these things. So let's make fitness more accessible financially. Let's, let's get a couple of kettlebells right. and, and the world is your oyster. Right. You can like go on Amazon and buy, you spend a hundred dollars, you know, on, I know a hundred dollars for a lot. Some people could be a lot, but if you look in terms of like a gym membership, mine's $50 a month. Right. Um, and you can do all of that stuff at home. And I always, I also want to comment that all the moves that Amanda just listed, they sound like lower body moves, but I always consider them full body moves. Like I consider it full body, a goblet squat. It, you are not just using your legs. If anything, you're using so much bicep, so much shoulder, so much core. I was yes. doing goblet squats last night and, and it's like my arms are sore from that because you're holding a a ball of metal in your arms and squatting. It's not like a barbell, you know, a barbell I can put on my back and I can load it up and, but a kettlebell, it's right there in the center. So you're not just getting lower body, which is important, lower body strength and power. You're getting core and arms and stuff. So we love the kettlebells. I got like five of them. And if I need to work out at home, which probably will be tonight, but if I need to work out at home, that's what I got, you know, and it's a good, it's a good compact, shove them in the corner of your house or apartment and you got to work out in a, in a ball. So love that love strength training for, for runners. And, um, as we were talking about before we hit record, maybe we hit record, maybe I can glitch those in. Um, we were talking about how, how messed up we're going to transition to the fit back to the fitness industry. And, uh, how long have you been in this industry for how many years? Seven, seven. Yeah. Full, full time. Five between five, five and a half and six, but seven, seven. It's been a long time. I think, I, I think I'm going on 12 years. Um, it's been a longer time. I am not, alive, I'm guys. not young. I will tell you, I am not the same person who I was five years ago, even two years ago, even a year ago. We never <laughs> should be, you know, in terms of my philosophy and in, in the way that I look, but you know, I was, a, I will always admit for myself, I was a part of the problem until I realized that I had a problem. And then I realized that there was a problem in the fitness industry and then I wanted mm. to be this a part of the solution. And what I mean by that is like how messed up the industry is in terms of body image, in terms of how we sell things. 
and we were talking about how um it's sneaky sales right so we mm -hmm. will what i mean by that is that a lot of this industry will act as if we are body positive and we aren't selling weight loss and we're not selling sexy oil up bodies on a poster <laughs> and we aren't going to talk about ripped abs and we aren't going to talk about like muscles and body and summer goals but we are totally 100% selling that we're just not saying those words anymore and it's just like a very toxic industry um we talked about your philosophy and fitness how talk to me about like your experience in this industry you know um to however you want to whatever extent you want to you know talk about it and like what you've seen what you know what your experience has been in that in this industry with that my relationship with fitness personally and professionally has required a lot of hard work mm -hmm. it's definitely not linear I have to be selective with the fitness professionals I align with. I wasn't always good at that. I have to be selective with the athletes I take on. I wasn't always good at that in fear that I wouldn't be successful if yeah. I didn't take them on. The folks in my circle now, they got a value. They got a value strength beyond shrinking self period. I do not take clients or interact with professionals who market things like shedding for the wedding. Like I got to get ready for my wedding. It's in four months and I want to train with you for these four months on, on that goal. There's nothing wrong with having aesthetic goals. I'm just not the one for you if you don't want to have longevity in fitness. Yeah. Because what you're telling me is we don't care about the same things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important for fitness professionals who are new to the space, who are hungry for clients, for money, Sometimes literally hungry because if we don't teach, we don't eat. <laughs> we teach too much. We're we, very hungry. <laughs> we, we better we better fuel properly. We better have the funds to fuel. That you will be okay. Mm -hmm. You will be okay if you if you do not take on that client. Uh, and it requires me to be to be vocal, right? And and then I'm I'm just. This, I have thin privilege, but I'm not the get skinny coach. I, I, I can't, I can't be that it's, it's right. not who I am. So right. I understand again, I know it's normal to want to change our bodies, but we also have to recognize, we have to respect its ability to become stronger. And if we can meet there, then I absolutely have faith that you will become stronger with me as a client. Right. As for the people I surround myself with, we have to manage our expectations. We spoke about earlier, you know, the diet industry and the little the little leg on, on the chart, the, the toxic fitness culture that we, we right. face has been profiting off of our insecurities for decades. Uh -huh. 
You know, we can't expect folks to, to just simply stop believing in it or falling for this arrival fa- fallacy. You know, if I get to this place, then I will achieve happiness. And 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 we see it. I'm sure you see it too, Gabby. And the, we interact with hundreds. I interact with literally hundreds of people every day right. <laughs> in my job. And I have to knee in the face all of all of these ideas, literally kneecap in the face, <laughs> all these ideas that I am here to get smaller, right? When people walk into my space, I have to, I have to go up against that. I have to go up to, I have to go up against the trainer who not literally, but I had a new, for example, I had a new runner just two days ago who entered my, my treadmill focused class who shared that he shouldn't be there because his trainer told him that he wasn't, he wasn't thin enough to begin running. Wow. And the amount it pained me, but my immediate response was, fuck your trainer. I know how many times I say that to people. I'm like, no. And I, (laughs) sometimes I keep that in, but I was so irate for him because he just looked at me like it was the only thing at one point in his life that he loved. Right. And now he's being told by a professional who exists in my industry that he is not small enough to succeed here. And that's what, that's what we have to fight. Right. I'm going to say that to people that there are so many people in this industry that are not only not qualified, but they are so unhealthy, so unhealthy in their relationship with their body and their relationship with your body. And I I say like their relationship with your body, right? Like why I have never seen science that is not thin enough to run, right? Like we could look at the people who ran the New York city marathon and they were all shapes and sizes and they were running. Some of them were walking and some of them were running all shapes and sizes, all ages, all genders, all, you know, um, I will say when, you know, what, what you were talking about with, you know, saying, turning people down, this is not what I do. I am not the get skinny coach. And I think it's very interesting, no matter what I say, on my Instagram, my social media, on my podcast, <laughs> people will look at me and the way that I look and will automatically think weight loss, weight loss, weight loss until I explain to them, no, this is what I do. And this is how I help people. Some people will change. You'll be like, okay, that's, you know, that's actually sounds like what I need but I don't think people know what they need. Sometimes I don't think mm. they know what they need. I think people are constantly being told that they need to lose weight and they will get healthier. And people like us can teach them that I can access fitness. I can access nutrition and I can have a non aesthetic or weight-based goal and get healthier. How is that possible? Because so many people are not exposed to this. They're not exposed to what we talk about. They don't understand that because they go to their doctor and their doctor's like, lose weight. And they're like, what? Go to the gym. Okay. 
I'm going to sign up for Equinox. I'm going to go to Amanda's class. But Amanda's talking all this crazy stuff. Like, what? My doctor just told me I need to lose weight. What the heck is she talking about? Like, what does she mean, get strong? Like, what is, how's that going to help me? And you're like, well, it is going to help you in so many ways and your health. And like, maybe you might lose some weight too, but like, we got to take the, people don't understand. And you may be listening and, and not still not understand this whole philosophy and this whole what I mean, and the reality is, is that what this whole culture of like weight loss is, is trying to solve this, this health epidemic that we do have, we do have a high rate of people with diabetes and cardiovascular disease, but we've just been going about it the wrong way. And what we are trying to introduce to the people who want to listen to us is this radical concept of like pursuing health and pursuing fitness and pursuing nutrition and changes for health. It's like radical to not be about weight loss. It really is. It's very- If, if folks can't sign on to our philosophy, Gabby, let's, let's, maybe they can sign on to facts. So we know f- fitness only counts for roughly 15 to 30% of your total daily energy expenditure. And I have that figure because I had to have this discussion with somebody recently because of course, what have we been sold that that fitness is the key to shrinking, Mm -hmm. that it is the key to aesthetic goals. And while you, you mentioned it so beautifully, it may be a side effect, right? Can we amplify fitness in terms of getting stronger, endurance, and and can we make it so that those leading the charge don't look like you and me? Mm -hmm. You know, can we amplify voices of those in other body sizes and other body types? Can we have them leading classes and fitness companies I, I want to, I, I don't want to see people who look like me, you know, I, I, I think that's another important part of the messaging. It's that fitness does not have a look. Mm-hmm. I think if you, if you look, there's this, um, there's, you know, you remember sports illustrated, I believe does it, or is it ESPN that does like the body issue? where they look at athletes' bodies, right? Like real, like athletes' bodies, right? They're not, depending on like sport and and where in body shape and size, they don't look like what this ideal picture of like muscularity and like very low body fat percentage. Many of them don't look Mm -hmm. like that. They don't, Mm -hmm. they do not. And, um, like you said, fitness, athleticism, it, it doesn't have a look. I battle that a lot in work when I, you know, when I work with athletes, I, I battled that a lot of, I need to look a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, if we lower your body fat percentage, like you're not just, you're not gonna be able to perform because you're not going to be able to eat enough to perform. Right. And then we're going to lose muscle mass. So we, we don't want to do that. 
we are, you know, athletes are a different thing. They are eating and training to perform. Um, but we don't, they don't even look as what we perceive people need to quote unquote need to look like to be a fitness instructor. But by having what you're saying, and I know Peloton has, um, they have brought on people of different sizes, people of different abilities, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, and they are one of, they're the biggest platform. They are the biggest platform in, in fitness. And um, it's good to see that we still should be doing more. <laughs> you know, we still need to be doing more. Um, I believe the girl, she was a rower. Her name was like Ash Pryor. She was just recently brought on to mm-hmm. Peloton and she got torn apart on the internet it was painful it was painful to watch what what they they came for her yeah and i i didn't see enough folks within privilege like me Mm -hmm. talking about it and then i remember i was talking about it and and (laughs) and I still had folks commenting that this is what health looks like now. You know nothing about somebody's health from looking at them. You know the amount of people who looked at me when I was in a restrictive behavior Mm -hmm. or behavior cycle, rather, who thought I was fit, who believed I was healthy yeah. because they had an image in their mind of what that looks like. Yeah. Have a seat and educate yourself. Right. That that's the only response I have for people. It, we, they have no, you want to talk about no excuse mindset mm-hmm. that you have no excuse. Information is at your fingertips. Yeah. Learn something about what health is. It's a lot of it is, is, rooted in that phobia and it took me a while to understand what do you mean that phobia does that mean that I'm scared of I'm afraid of, of fat people no that's not what you know fat phobia means doesn't mean that you're afraid of fat people it's more so like the judgments that we pass or the thoughts that we have of someone who is fat or, you know, in a larger body, it's how you, it's, it's, I would say your fear of being judged. If you were to be, you know, if you were to gain weight, I've gained weight, my body has completely changed. Um, and I was, and, and I recently, I just posted about this today, um, on my Instagram. So I'll, I'll link that into this, but you know, I was, people always, uh, you know, if your body changed, how would you feel? And I remember listening to an interview of a, of a dietitian who, an anti-diet culture dietitian. And she was just like, I don't know how I would feel if my body changed. And I always thought about that. So after I had my baby and my body is way different, um, I, I remember listening to that, to that podcast of, of, you know, what she said, I don't know how I would feel. And I was just like, I don't feel any kind of way. And like, I was always afraid that like, oh my gosh, I'm going to hate myself. I'm going to hate my body. I'm going to run to the gym. I'm going to need to do this. I'm going to, no, because that's what healing is. Healing is, is like, if my body Mm -hmm. ever changes, how will I react? Because it is very easy to live in a thin body. 
and to be mm-hmm. body, you know, to be body positive or body neutral. It's very easy. But once you're, and I'm still thin and I still have, you know, I'm still small and I'm still have thin privilege. Um, but it's very easy to live in that. But, you know, having the voices of the individuals in our, in our profession, in larger bodies to be present and to speak and to have a voice and to actually teach, right, is really, really important. And, and I think our, our, our last question here is like, how do we as fitness professionals step up? And I think the thing that you said is like, educate yourself, read what health at every size actually means. What does mm-hmm. health at every size actually mean? And I think people believe that like health at every size just means like, oh, you just gain all this weight and you're just fat and you're just lazy. And so you're going to say that I'm healthy. And people actually say that to me. They were like health at every size. It's like people just become fat and then just say I'm health at every size. I'm like, no, it's actually an approach to health that is weight neutral and weight inclusive, meaning that we treat everyone the same when they walk into our class or they walk into a doctor's office or they walk into a nutritionist, um, that they don't get special treatment, that they aren't treated differently, that if you or I were to walk into a doctor with a condition that an individual who is fat or in a larger body will also get the same exact treatment because there are treatments that people who are fat that walk into the doctor, they just get told to wait, get to lose weight and you will walk in, you and I will walk in with the same condition and we will get a totally different treatment plan. So that's what we need all time is it's, it's not saying that like that we're just going to gain weight and that they're that, okay, we're healthy now. People perceive that it's just like health at every size means that they're lazy or that like they're glorifying fatness. That's my favorite that we're just glorifying fatness, but educate yourself on what health at every size actually means. And instead of building our own narrative, right of what it is listen to the people in that space yes and i would i would add nothing to what you said about health at every size approach and and opening your eyes to what the approach actually Mm. states i think that the other area that our industry is lacking in goes back to something you said earlier, a huge part of the problem is happening from the inside. The amount of fitness professionals in active eating disorders Mm -hmm. or in disordered behaviors in general, whether that is with exercise or food is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And yet it's applauded as commitment. A hundred percent. I see it this, all the time. This needs to be addressed. It, it needs to be addressed. It is not and then, normal. It is no. not normal. I'm sorry to introduce. It's not normal. <laughs> no, please. Four classes a day to take a class on top of that and then go work out. It's not normal. It's not. Listen, I know we both <laughs> know what it takes to teach a, a fitness class. You're putting energy in everything. It. You're putting everything into that, unless you're being like lazy, lazy about it, right? Like you're putting a lot into that. And then you're going to go take a 45 minute class. I'm calculating how, what your energy expenditure is when I see it. Correct. It's not healthy. 
it's not it's not cool you, and also like you're not sending a message that's good to the people who are following you people look up to fitness mm -hmm. as for inspiration mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then to and then right after us not addressing the problem from the inside it's no wonder that we have such an issue with cueing folks talking about inappropriately talking about food and bodies in our fitness spaces, hmm. giving advice on things that we lack credentials in, but, but because the participant is looking at the fitness instructor existing in a thin body, share what they should and shouldn't do to help aid their journey in fitness right. when specifically when it comes to, to food and this, and this idea around earning food and yeah. burning a certain amount of food. We, the industry is lacking eating disorder awareness period. Right. And these things are out of scope for the majority of people in the fitness industry. The majority of the people in the fitness industry, I do not have the statistic, maybe that's my next nerd out, <laughs> do not do not have nutrition credentials. No. They don't. No, and I'm sorry, but like precision nutrition, it's not a – you have to know biochemistry. You have to know how the body works before you say things. Like you have to know how it works. I know how it works in terms of nutrition. Do I know everything? No, because we still don't know everything and it's hard to know everything. Um, there's this concept of um, the less you, it's, it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect, but essentially, I don't know if you ever heard of it. I talk about it all the time. It's like the less knowledge that you actually have about something, the more you believe like that, you know, and then the more knowledge that you accrue over time, you're like, Hey, I really don't know everything. I'm okay to say like, I don't, I say, I don't know to people all the time, but what, you know, kind of going back to what you were saying, it's, it's this, I look this way. So let me sell you my body. Like, let me sell mm -hmm. you. My body is the sales focus. And so if you buy my program, if you work with me, if you do what I do, then you're going to look like me. Like, let's call, let's call everybody's bullshit right now. You are all selling your body to sell a program. Mm -hmm. But it is. Mm -hmm. I'm not dumb. I could call you out by name because I have you racked in my head right now, but this isn't that kind of podcast. But you're doing it and you're selling your body saying, but, but let's talk about behind the scenes that you're doing the four classes a day, two workouts, um, eating a sweet green salad and like, uh, uh, like, you know, not, not giving yourself enough, not fueling enough. Listen, I have been very low body fat percentage. I know what it feels like, you know, me and my friend, we always talk about, mm -hmm. we know what it takes to get there. We are not, you know, we're not stupid. Some people I will say are just genetically that way. Um, but we know that you are trying to sell that and your clients do not have the time to move and exercise as much as you do, unless they quit their jobs. 
and become a fitness instructor. It, it feels like sadness. It's it's so it's it's so it feels like it feels it feels like it feels like sadness. It, is sad. it feels like it's it's really sad. Right. And we know and we know that you and I could eat the same way. Yeah. Could exercise in the same way. And we would not have the same quote unquote results. Yeah. We know that. Because it's genetic. And yet, correct. Correct. Like so I, yes, it does. It sure does. Like essentially like my, my question like is like, you know, my last one that we're, we'll just touch on is like, how do we step up? And honestly, based on the, what we just said over the past five minutes is address your own bullshit, address your own, your, that's how I stepped up in this industry. That's how I, I address my own relationship with my body, my own relationship with food. Um, you know, and really it's a, like, you know, kind of like we said earlier, it's a, you said before, it's like, this is all a work in progress. Was, am I better than I was a year ago? A hundred percent. Am I better than I was five years ago? Like a thousand percent, um, in terms of my relationship, but I can't give something. I can't give a message if I'm not living it myself. I can't truthfully give a message, but there's so many people that, that do give a message that they're not living. I, I could not agree with you more. That is the same message that I share with my audience. I'm very open about my struggles with my clients as well. I, I want them to feel like I am, that we're not on this pedestal, but that we're meeting them where they are today. And that's really humanizing this experience for them, this experience be, being their, their journey with fitness. Right. And a big part of that is, is calling ourselves out on the things that we we've done. We no longer do. And here's why. Yep. And being really authentic about it. And you can never go wrong. If you're honest, hundred percent, you can never go wrong. And I, I love that there are, and again, yeah, that's all I got. That's, and that's that, that's our, one last thing I'll say is I do love that there are a lot of influencers who do open up and be like, Hey, I've been struggling for a while. Um, Hey, I need to, you know, um, I don't know if you follow Remy Bader. Do you know who she is? I don't no. Okay, She's amazing. Um, she's like a fashion influencer and she, um, that's probably why um, I'm not good in that, <laughs> but she, she's, you know, really big in, you know, improving, um, you know, body image in the fashion industry. Um, oh, sweet. Cause she is in a larger body, but she, you know, recently opened up about like her struggles with her eating disorder and going into treatment like recently. Um, so you don't need to share your, your journey. You don't need to share your struggle. It's not necessary. It's a private thing. People don't. I do. Um, because I find that it does help people feel human and it does help people be like, okay, like I'm okay. Like I can be a fitness professional and struggle with an eating disorder and have been in this industry for X amount of years. And like, 
I can heal from this and stay in this industry. And like, have I caused people harm a hundred percent personally when I was, you know, back in the day, do I feel guilty? Not anymore. Um, I just feel like shit for a while, <laughs> but you know, I'm in a different space now. And my mission is to not make people feel like they need to look a certain way, be a certain way, eat a certain way. Um, and that they can just approach health um, in this space, make it safe, make it safe for each other. Not everyone will agree with everything us. you said. <laughs> not everyone, everything you said. Not everyone will agree with us. Um, anything That's okay. Want, yeah. And anything you want to add, anything you have going on, any like coaching, things like that, that you want to share any races. I know you keep your races private, but I try to keep them for me. I think I that that's it. an important part of our, of our choice in fitness, right. To, to keep things, to keep things sacred, but no, I, um, I don't have to my knowledge. I don't have anything massive going on. I think that folks can find the most up-to-date information about if I'm accepting right now, I'm, I'm not uh, accepting one-on-one uh, -on -one virtual training sessions, but there are some other opportunities for run coaching, um, uh, other customized experiences that I am offering. And all that is on my Instagram and on my website, uh, amandascats.com. And then the Instagram is at Amanda underscore cats with two Z's because somebody be taking one Z and, we had to, we had to get out there. We had to get out there. We had to. So I, I think that's, I think that's really it for me. Amazing. I know someone took Gabby Barreto. So it's Gabby M. Barreto. That's fine. It works. The disrespect. The disrespect. <laughs> but amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for being a positive light in this fucked up industry. <laughs> <laughs> um, we really appreciate it and thanks again thank you for having me Gabby thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening I encourage you to follow Amanda on Instagram her content is amazing her message is amazing her handle is Amanda underscore cats that is K-A-T-Z-Z two z's on that so one more time amanda underscore cats with two z's thank you guys so much if you guys have questions about this episode or anything any comments corrections recommendations please feel free to reach out to me my handle is gabby m Bredo on instagram you can dm me there you can also email me at nutrition by gabby at gmail.com that is gabby with two b's see you guys next time